Holy Spirit in the midst of his people, the church. Now, one of the things we have told you is that the difference between church and kingdom is church is for folk who are just trying to get to heaven. You know what I'm saying? No, you don't. You're looking at me funny. It's because these are people who don't want a relationship with anybody but Jesus. Because the kingdom requires you to have relationships. Amen. If you're in church, it means that you don't have the authority of Christ. There's no power in what you do. But kingdom, by its very nature, means authority. It's power. So if you want to see power in the church, then we have to grow up to be a part of the kingdom. But that's a whole another lesson for another time. So the Bible says, uh, don't hold on to something that is temporary. Amen. Amen. Move on into what's permanent. Amen. So Jesus was telling Mary that there are three new relationships that he is going to instill in her. The first one, of course, is that new relationship between the brethren. Uh, the second is the new relatives that, that are going to be uh, coming on the scene. And then thirdly, what we're going to see is that Mary's going to get a new responsibility. Now, we'll go through this one at a time, and we tell you that this new relationship, first of all, this new relationship uh, begins at the ascension. When Jesus goes to the Father, he establishes a different kind of relationship, and that's where he brings in what we call the church because he said to Mary, go tell the brethren. This is the first time in Scripture that he calls us brethren. Remember in uh, chapter 15, uh, verse 5, he talked about us being servants. He talked to us uh, talk to us about being friends. Amen? And now he talks to us about being brethren. Amen? So the relationship changes. Now in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, the Bible teaches us, uh, well, let me change my pages so I can give you the scripture. Romans chapter 8, in verse 17, the Bible, 15, I'm sorry, says, uh, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. So you get to call him Father, Abba, Father. Amen. Amen. Notice in verse 16, the Bible says that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen. Then in verse 17, he says that if we're children... We're not only heirs, but we're what? Joint heirs. Amen. And then the scripture we ministered to you in the last couple of weeks from Romans 8, 29. The Bible says, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be what? The firstborn among many brethren. That's you. Amen. But then he made it all inclusive. Look at what Galatians says in chapter 3. He said this, he said, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? But he's still keeping it masculine, isn't he? But then in verse 27, he says, 
for as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither what? Male nor female, for you are what? All one in Christ. So he changes the relationship so that brethren also includes the female. Uh, you know, we, we sometimes tease you and call them sisterin, but, <laughs> but what we're saying is that the relationship changes when Christ ascends to the Father. Amen? Because the nature of who you are uh, becomes different. Then the Bible goes one step further, and he said this, uh, because uh, uh, of the resurrection, Jesus had, look at verse 28 of Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. He said, Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, go tell my brethren, go tell my brethren. So he's using this language now, uh, as, after his resurrection, calling everyone who was a disciple his brother. Are you still with me? So the Bible says that the second thing he taught us is that now there's a shift taking place. There's a shift, there's a change. And what he's saying is, now we're no longer talking just blood relatives, but we're also talking about spiritual relatives. Amen? So in Luke chapter 8 and verse 20, Luke chapter 8 and verse 20, and I realize these are a lot of scriptures, but all you have to do is write the citation down and, uh, you know, you, you'll be able to keep up with them. Uh, Luke chapter 8 and verse 20, the Bible says, and it was told him, uh, to him by some who said, uh, your mother and your brother are standing outside desiring to see you. But verse 21 changes everything. Here's what he says in verse 21. He said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and what? Do it. So the relationship now changes because first we're talking about just flesh and blood kind of relationship. But he says now only those who hear and do are my brethren. Amen. But then he goes on and he designates now the entire Christian community as believers. If you look at Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four. Now this is extensive, so I don't want to read the whole thing. Verses one through nine. But notice verse 1 says, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren. Are y'all following me? So he's talking about the church community. But then look at verse 2. I implore you, Yodia and Synthony, be of the same mind in the Lord. So he includes women when he says brethren. Verse 8 says, finally, brethren. And then it goes through uh, those things that, that we should think on. But what he's saying here in Philippians is that, that uh, the, the dual function here of the relationship, uh, the term brethren, uh, takes on a new nature simply because it is both physical and spiritual. Now, it testifies also of the, the importance of community, Christian community. What's that word we're looking for? Kononia. Okay, I guess it's the word I'm looking for. 
<laughs> so, so we're now talking about both the family of flesh and the family of faith. So he used the word Adelphi, and the word means uh, equality among members. So in Christian community, we're all one. The Bible says, uh, what they used to say in the, in the, in the, uh, the old Baptist church, no little eyes and big U's or something like that, or big little U's, big I don't know what they used to say. I remember hearing it as a child. So. Well, the Bible goes on one step further, and it tells us that now that the, the penalty for sin has been paid completely, now I, I like this. When Jesus died and rose again, the Bible says that he paid a complete death. We're paid in full. Amen. As a matter of fact, what we told you earlier is that uh, when you see the empty cross and the empty tomb, that means that uh, God has given us a receipt that telling us that the debt is paid. You know, every now and then when you, you're fortunate enough to pay a bill off, They put a stamp. They put a stamp on it that says "paid in full." Now I had jokes, but you know I'm going. <laughs> Some people have never seen that stamp. <laughs> Don't have a clue what. They... <laughs> but but, but that's <laughs> the stamp says "paid in full," and every time that you see an empty cross, guess what you should be thinking? Paid. In full. Amen. So, when Jesus then was resurrected, his language began to change. And now he says, uh, I'm going to my father and my God and your father and your God. So it changes here. Now, Jesus could refer to them as brothers for uh, the eternal God was now fully accessible to them. What does that mean? As a brother in Christ, I have the same access to God as Christ himself has to God. Huh? You know, we used to sing that song, I can go to God in prayer. You can do that. You have an audience with him. And the Bible says that because he is constantly interceding on our behalf, he's waiting for your prayers so he knows what to tell the father. He's waiting for. <laughs> so, so the Bible says that when he saw his disciples again, notice here in John chapter 20, verse 22, the Bible says that he breathed on them and he gave them the Holy Spirit. Now, another controversial point. Did he give them the Holy Spirit then, or did he give it to them in Acts? The answer is yes. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, he said this in Luke, I mean in John, he said uh, he breathed on them, and when he breathed on them, it created a new man. The new man now was a man who could receive the spirit of the Lord. Now, 
That is like anything else. You have it, but it must be activated. Are y'all listening to me? You have the Holy Spirit. When he breathed on you, you have the fullness of the Spirit of God in you. In Acts chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit came, the Bible said, if you remember, the Bible talked about uh, uh, the clothing, t clothing tongue, and, and they showed the illustrations are like lightning. Y'all seen it? In, well, imagine, if you will, having uh, an explosive, but the explosive won't detonate unless it has some kind of blasting cap. The lightning ignites the fuse and blows up everything that God has given to you. So the fullness of who he is is that then permeated throughout your entire body so that you have everything that he said in John chapter 4 that he would bring back to your remembrance. Well, I said John chapter 4, John chapter 14. Amen? So, what he actually did was the exact same thing that God did in Genesis. The Bible says that he breathed in, into man and man became a living soul. And Jesus then breathed into man and man became a living spirit. Now, if you read uh, 1 Corinthians, and I don't have time to go there, but in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, the Bible is very clear. Uh, about the 40-something verse all the way through there, it talks about how... Uh, the natural precedes the spiritual, how the body is sown as a natural body, but it is raised as a spiritual body. Y'all know what it is. You heard it every funeral you've been to, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Amen? But the Bible says that because he breathed on them, he now had the power, he gave them the power to be able to live in a cleansed environment. Okay, you're looking at me funny. Here's what we're saying. Prior to having this power of the Holy Spirit, man had to make some form of atonement. We saw this up till the coming of the New Testament. Then Jesus came. Between his birth and his death, if Jesus was not there, how, did, how could you make atonement? He's in Greenville, and I need him right here. Okay, y'all still ain't following. So now the Bible says that he breathed on them. He gave them the Holy Spirit, which means they're in constant contact with him and the Father. Oh, yes, they could still pray to and through, but it was to someone and through someone. And now they could speak directly because of that spirit that was breathed upon them. So the same way in the beginning, when God created Adam, come on, go back to that 1 Corinthians 15, read it when you get your leisure. The Bible says that when Adam was created, he was able to commune with God directly. Man lost that ability, and now with the coming of the Holy Spirit, he now regains that power to commune directly with God. That's why you can pray, ask God, and believe 
and receive what you pray for. <laughs> that took a lot of work there, y'all. So the Bible says then that uh, uh, the one thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes into the midst of people is that it brings order out of chaos. It brings order out of chaos. What does that mean, order out of chaos? It means that the world is a messy place. If you turn the TV on, you'll see that it's a messy place. But because you're in it, the stuff that has happened could be far worse. So the Bible says that God then determined beforehand, here we go, predestined, what believers' destiny would, would be, namely that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. They, that means that if he is my brother, I share the same DNA, we have the same capabilities. So why can't I do what he does? Hmm. Well, the reason that I can't do what he does is because I don't do what he did. What'd that mean? He lived a sinless life. You now have, because you have received the Holy Spirit, the power of forgiveness of sin. That doesn't mean you won't sin, but it means that you don't have to be a sinner. You can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Most people will not repent. Y'all, of course, you, you already know that. They'll hold something forever and two or three days. So we're going to give you two scriptures, and I have one more point to make. The first scripture is in John chapter 3 and verse 3. John 3 and 3, uh, the Bible says in 3 and 3 that, Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. You must be born again. This breathing on uh, the disciples was a form of recreation of man. And then Colossians 1.18 says this, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the, begin uh, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That is the resurrected Christ. It says that, in all things, he might have the preeminence. So Christ was first. It doesn't mean that your experience will be different. It just means that every experience that you have, he already had. <laughs> so then the third point I want to make is Mary's new responsibility. The Bible said that she was to testify of his risen presence. She was to receive four special graces. Notice the Bible says that she was able to see angels. You know what it said? She was able to see risen Christ. And when I say a risen Christ, I'm talking about Christ resurrected from the grave. Thirdly, the Bible says she was to be the first to see him as a living person, not just an apparition, because she touched him. <clears throat> and the fourth thing we see is that she was to be a proclaimer of the good news of the gospel. Now, this is one of those issues where 
culture has a lot to do with how we grow up spiritually. The Bible tells us that in this time, in the first century, that women were not allowed to testify. So that Jesus, when he sent the word, was very particular about sending a woman. Amen. And you notice that even when Mary got to the disciples, they still did not believe her. Amen. You know, uh, well, never mind. I'm start picking on people today. <laughs> it's not that it's not that women are not credible. It's just that men have a hard time believing them. There's a spider in the kitchen. He was that big. <laughs> so. <laughs> and, and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> and it's not, ladies, it's not that, it's not that, that men think you're exaggerating, it's that they don't want to go in the kitchen to find out if you talk. <laughs> so, so it's easy just to say, ain't no such thing. So in Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, the Bible says in verse 11, it says, and their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. Amen. So, so, you know, we have this issue in the gospel where Jesus uses these women to make sure that uh, uh, there is no, no uh, uh, fakery or forgery here. He says that, uh, these women who saw the resurrection were blessed. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says this. He says, uh, bless are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what do we know about Mary? Mary was not a preacher. She wasn't a theologian. She didn't come from any great means. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that she was a great sinner who had been forgiven much. Amen. But yet she was chosen to take the word to the men. <laughs> now, here's how we kind of tie this together. So when we see the term disciple, we have to stop thinking in terms of male disciples. Now, ladies, y'all better hang in here with me because otherwise... When I walk out of here and the brethren going, they're they going to get me. <laughs> but you notice that John was very careful to weave this story in such a way that what he said was that he put Mary's story along with Peter and John's story. Are you with me here? And he did this to show that what they did and what she did were actually polar opposites. Let me show you what I'm talking about. How much time? Okay, here's, here's the deal. Peter denied. They all ran and left Jesus. Mary was the only one left, and the women, of course. And even if Mary's story was not a factual story, they wouldn't know whether it was or not because they all ran off and left. Amen. 
Are y'all with me? Now, just as a side road real quick, the Bible shows us something. Notice that, that the word that he gave to Mary, I'm coming back to Mary, but notice the word that he gave to Mary was go tell the brethren. So even though these guys had run off, even though Peter had denied him, he still understood that they were brethren. Fun fact. What is the difference between Peter denying and Judas betraying? To deny something means to disavow. In other words, Peter was saying, I don't believe that anymore. But to betray means to give authority over to your enemy. Let me put it this way. If you're married and you're flirting, you can deny that you're married. But if you have an affair, that's a betrayal. I thought that might work for y'all. <laughs> Every woman in the place got it. I, I got that now. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so Mary's experience was used to typify that experience of all disciples. Now, when Mary got to the tomb first thing in the morning, uh, Mary was a little bit ambivalent about whether or not there was going to be a resurrection. As a matter of fact, why was she there in the beginning? She was there to anoint the body. Amen. Because she didn't know for sure. But the Bible teaches us that's why when we say uh, the day spring, the dawning light, that point where we come to a place of understanding, it's because sometimes in the darkness of our own situation, we don't see things very clear. You don't understand that, that you're clouded by the natural. And then sometimes when the light comes on, revelation, when it comes, then you're able to see clearly. Amen? And I think that what, what we see here today is that uh, these women were given a, a new status because now they were at the same level of the rest of the disciples. Now, if you notice when Paul writes, he greets the, the, the fellow workers, and he always includes women. Y'all? Okay, go back and read. All right. I, I don't want, want to put words in your mouth. Amen. But the last thing is that that commission, the great commission, was given not just to the male disciples, but to all disciples to go into all nations. So women were becoming not only evangelists, they could go out and take the word of God. I had to stop myself. Because unlike some denominations today that say women can't, can't preach in church, that's not true. 
Amen. And I think women, a lot of times, that men don't want you to be in equal footing is because they think you might be better. All right. So let me close this out by telling you two, three things. That, yeah, that makes it make closing a lot easier, right? And a lot longer. <laughs> when we think about Resurrection Sunday, we think about what happens every time there is light. Whenever there's daybreak and whenever there's a change, it means that not only is, is that a new opportunity, Lamentation says his mercies are new every morning, but he's always faithful. Amen. Secondly, we have to understand something. The reason that uh, Jesus gave us that Holy Spirit is so that we could be knitted together as a body. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Uh, you all remember we you sing that song, uh, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. I want you to think for a moment. When we use the acronym joy, what do we say? Jesus, others, and yourself. And the problem is that the center of your joy is missing. What's he talking about? The others. There is no relationship outside of the church. What most people have is what I call a semi-covenant. What do you mean? Most Christians have a covenant with Christ, but they don't have a covenant with man. And because they have no covenant relationship with men, brethren, men and women, then they're not able to function as a body, a community of believers. The problem is that, is that we can't advance the kingdom. We can't do God's agenda unless we do it together as a body of believers, united in purpose. And what we have today is that we believe God and we believe that Jesus is Lord and that he's going to take us away one day. But until then, I do not want to be bothered with you. Now, I consider this to be a great church, but there's a lot of individualism. And the Bible teaches us that power is always an agreement. Hmm? So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that the power, I'm empowered by my missing third. Come on, y'all. That's good even for me. <laughs> I'm empowered by my missing third. I got Jesus, and I'm doing pretty good by myself. 
but I'm never going to have power until I get So when I started this morning, I said, Holy Spirit wants us to tell everybody this message. It's time to come home. And that's what we're talking about. I've heard, I've heard, now you all, I'm always hearing rumors that these new church folk said that uh, now we now that we've had this pandemic, we don't need to have church anymore. We can have church in the house now because that was God's original intent. Now, can I tell you something? Without sounding like I'm being ugly to you all, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Do you know how many people you won't let in your house? And you can evangelize the community. Huh? And don't let, don't, don't let Bubba have church. Because he ain't going to let you in. Are y'all following what I'm saying? We've got to, it's got to be inclusive. And that's the part that's missing. We have to get people to understand that when the Holy Spirit came, he came to do one thing and one thing only, to give us new life. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 37, can these bones live again? And the prophet said, the Lord told him to prophesy to the four winds. And he said when he prophesied to the four winds, he saw these bones coming together as one. This is what the church has to do. Prophesy to the bones. Before we close out today, we're going to prophesy to every empty seat in the house. We're going to prophesy to every missing person that we know is supposed to be a part of the body of Christ. And when we do this, we're going to seal it today with communion and believe that God wants us to speak life to those who are missing. Are y'all listening?